0: Use those things as a bit of a spotlight on, okay, then that's what I'm taking into my meditation to sit with, you know, and, and like a, a good question is who was upset by the no, you know? And so we can, you can play through like the different roles that you play in your life and like actually who was upset and then, and then what was upsetting about it? What was I, what was I actually worried was the product of that no? You know, and usually what i find is that as
1: you work your way back welcome to innovation and leadership where i interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers elite special operations soldiers startup ceos who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes hollywood filmmakers really as many different kinds of experts as i can the whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate thanks for listening and i hope you enjoyed today's show Today on the show, I've got Jason Garner. Jason, thanks for making time. Hey Jess, thanks for having me. So I'm really excited that you said you're going to send me your book. I've been listening to podcasts and reading articles and stuff. And this, this story that you talk about from trailer park and parking attendant stuff and becoming CEO of Fortune 500 company, Live Nation, and, and then kind of more of a spiritual journey since then and helping a lot of people in the meantime, I, that's my summary of it. How do you summarize that story?
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. I think there's another, like there's another angle on it, which is kind of growing up with a lot of pain and, and kind of inner suffering and learning over time and that kind of pain and suffering kind of hole in my heart, propelling me to kind of this achievement, but in a a level of achievement or a sense of achievement that left out kind of caring for myself. And then over time, kind of learning to be comfortable with the entirety of my, my experience and being kind of able to settle in versus kind of running away from myself and, you know, trying to achieve all these exterior things and then kind of looking at the world going, so like, you love me now, right? You love me now. And so often this is what we're doing, you know? And, and I just feel like mostly what I learned is I'm lovable and I love myself And then I can go out in the world and just kind of have an authentic expression of wherever that is in business or in personal life, you know, whatever you choose, you know?
1: Yeah, it's, I guess it's amazing for me to look back at, you know, these couple of decades I've been pretending to be an adult and think about how much time has been wasted in image management and like doing these activities to try and gain the respect of people whose opinions I think matter. Rather than almost like is like a bandaid to cover up ways that I, you know, things that I didn't accept about myself or, you know, like these fears that I don't matter or any of these kind of things. I'm going to like do something impressive so I can use their opinions that I matter as like a bandaid over (laughs) instead of like fixing the hole in me.
0: Yeah, I have a, a Zen teacher who asks a great question. He says, who are you when you're not enchanting the world? And sometimes when we're talking, I'll start to say something and he'll say, oh no, don't, don't enchant me. You know, don't just, just tell me, just tell me the truth of what you want to say. Don't, don't try to convince me. Don't try to make me believe it. And I think, I think that's really, really good. I mean, we're just, we are at the core, these little children running around looking for a love that we didn't receive. And and I think you've been there in business, how often what should be a fairly straightforward discussion between two adults over a business issue deteriorates into something quite ugly and quite infantile because what we realize when you look back on those situations is actually not two adults sitting there. There's two kids looking to be loved. And the fact that I, the fact that I take a different tact on how we get a deal done is actually not that factual experience to you. It actually is saying that what you came up with was dumb or not worthy, which reinforces a storyline that is inside you. And then you act like a two-year-old. And then I have that same experience going on. I act like a two-year-old and here we go. And we have some like massive examples of this in our world right now. In many, in many areas. And you just see it playing out in, in the news around the world. And yeah, like I, that was, that's like a big thing for me is I, I just, I don't want to live a lie, you know? And, and so once I found out how much kind of this pain was pushing me, it, it really became kind of a, like a search for authenticity and an ability to like, I want to be able to hear, to sit here with you and tell you, as I told you, when we started this conversation, you can ask me anything because I'm pretty comfortable with my entire journey, including cocaine field nights in Las Vegas. That's part of it too. You know what I mean? But but I want you to like me. So I try to pretend I never did any of that stuff. And in the process of doing that, there's some kind of violence that I'm committing against myself. It, I have really kind of co-opted the societal story that I'm not good enough. And then I start putting on mask after mask after mask. And that's that expression of I lost myself or I had to take time off to find myself, which is actually like this process of removing masks until we get down to a very vulnerable human being who is not perfect. And, and But in there lies the perfection of being human, of like, hey, I, I'm just this amalgamation of all these experiences, you know?
1: Yeah. So to me, I think it's extra fun for me to hear this message from someone who has achieved a lot from worldly standards and has come to this conclusion, you know, because it's, it's not a like, sour grapes thing or a grass is greener kind of thing, you know? So can you, for people who don't understand just like what a force in the entertainment industry live nation is, can you, can you talk about that organization for people who aren't as familiar?
0: Yeah. I think basically the way to say it is if you've been to a major concert, you have participated in the live nation ecosystem. I mean, they're the biggest concert company to such a degree that if you add up everyone beneath them, they're bigger than than the aggregate of all the all of the, the competitors. And so, you know, I think like in my career, I've probably been involved in the production of I don't know over a hundred thousand concerts at Live Nation. That was you know ten to twelve thousand a year, every country in the world, every major major artist. So it was a great place for you know me and my pain to hide out. Right. I mean, I had, I didn't have a big job. I had like the, the big job, you know, like it was, and it, and it, and it was amazing and great. And I learned a lot, but, but I wasn't, I wasn't whole on the inside. And so, like I said, it was really a great place to kind of hide out and never have to show these fears and insecurities I have inside, but they were there. and, as my career got bigger and bigger and I became more successful, it started to show up because the voices got louder and louder and louder within me of, you know, here I was, I had these jobs, I was in a boardroom with, you know, billionaires and rock stars. And inside I felt really, really inadequate to be there. You know, I was, I was scared and it was slowly breaking me down, you know?
1: Yeah. So when you think about this journey from, you know, I think Live Nation today is like a $14 billion company and between their full-time, part-time staff, it's like 36,000 staff, right? When you think about all of that recognition and all of that, like you said, place to hide out and, and probably really fun times as well, can you contrast that with the kind of, I don't know, the kind of fulfillment that you feel these days with this different path you've followed?
0: Yeah and I and I don't think that it's impossible to feel that in one of those jobs either you know but I think the the difference is that I'm just comfortable with myself you know I'm I'm not I'm not kind of in this perpetual arguing with reality trying to trying to tell a story that's different than what's going on inside and so it's you know I don't think it's like the spiritual path I think there's a lot of misnomers about the spiritual path. And I think kind of we see these images and movies of like a Tibetan monk sitting in meditation and like elevating off the ground and no worries. And in the world, and that's not it, you know, and and a lot of those Tibetan monks are my teachers and, and I have never met anybody on this path who isn't having a holy human experience. And so you know, it's not really about transcending our humanity, but actually just becoming comfortable with the depths of our of our humanity. And so I have friends who have big corporate jobs and are meditating and caring for themselves and doing a, a great job. In my case, I really felt like I needed to kind of turn away and go do something that was solely focused on caring for myself for a while. But I, I think the difference in the experience is that it's not chasing success after success and then having the crash kind of like caffeine, you know, it's just more like everything's okay. You know, I feel, I feel okay. And I do business deals still that cool. And, but there's not a huge crash afterwards because I feel that I'm an imposter or I feel that I'm not, not worthy. And, and also it's not that those feelings don't come up, But I've learned to create a space to hold those feelings and to comfort them and to know that, hey, when when hurt little Jason flares up in my life, I now have some tools and I have a skill set that allow me to kind of hold him along with successful, powerful, strategic Jason. And we can all kind of sit together and no no one's trying to cancel each other out. So there's not kind of this inner tug of war going
1: on. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things as I've listened to, you know, other interviews you've done and read stuff, one of your articles in Ink Magazine about this idea of being the warrior monk, and I heard you talk about it somewhere too, like that, that you can be a warrior too. Like it doesn't have to be a hundred percent monk. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah. I had the really good fortune of really early kind of in my spiritual seeking, I ended up at the Shaolin temple um, in China. And the Shaolin Temple is the birthplace of Zen Buddhism. It's the birthplace of Chinese herbal medicine. And it's also the birthplace of Kung Fu. And so, you know, I was hanging out with these monks who on the one hand would like hold my hand and rest their head on my shoulder and say, I love you. And on the other hand, were like stone cold killers. Like you'd see them fight and it's just like, wow. And that was a really nice kind of early experience for me because at the time I thought, well, I'll just going to take the warrior Jason and put him in a trunk. I'm going to try to develop this kind of peaceful, happy guy going guy who will be kind of barely touching the earth and floating around. And I saw in these guys that, you know, these monks, I really admired their, their meditation. I really admired their compassion and then I saw that they could also be powerful when, when needed. And one of the big lessons that I learned from them and I continue learning from various teachers is kind of this idea of right action, which is, you know, a Shaolin monk can put his hand and crush a you know, piece of concrete, let's say. But So how does he do that? It's because he takes everything, all of his intention, all of his focus, all of his energy, and he puts it in his hand. And then he punches. And then once the punch is done, there's nothing else that needs to be done because you've done the punch. And then he just relaxes. Now, what do we do? We would think about the punch. We worry about the punch. We justify to Jess why I had to throw the punch. We talk about it. We call our parents. We call our friends. We might write a tweet about it. And we give things this kind of amount of action that's not necessary for what was in front of us. And so that was one of the really big things I learned is that it's okay to be aggressive when aggression is the right action. But once it's not the right action, then there's no need for the aggression anymore. And that was really, really helpful for me. And, And in my life, that concept of the warrior monk has evolved a bit. Like there's a, there's another concept in Buddhism that's called bodhisattva. And this is someone who's on the spiritual path who says, hey, I'm not going to go off and try to become enlightened by myself. In fact, I won't become enlightened until everyone's enlightened. And so like put in everyday terms is like, I will walk with you for as long as you need me to walk with you for you to feel okay. And that all of a sudden takes Warrior Monk even to this other level of like, I'm here with you. And I'm going to be here with you for as long as it takes. If it takes my whole life and your whole life, that's okay. And I think that kind of dedication from from one to another is another really powerful kind of demonstration of this kind
1: of warrior monk mentality. And, and tell me again how to pronounce that.
0: Uh, bodhisattva.
1: Bodhisattva. Yeah. So for those of us who, let's say that you know, this show... I mean, just the name of the show, innovation and leadership, right? We attract a lot of entrepreneurs and stuff like that. That's who sees a name like that and says, I want to listen to that show, right? Okay. So if there are some more of us who want to pursue something like that while, you know, trying to grow a company, things like this, what are some of the first principles that, that you'd advise us to think about there?
0: I think, I think one of the first things is that we hear a lot of talk about balance, and so i I consider myself first and foremost if i'm gonna put a label on me beyond like human is i consider myself an entrepreneur and my spirituality is entrepreneurial i didn't go join it you know an ist no i took a piece of this and a piece of that kind of make i kind of used the iphone mentality to build my spiritual practice and you know, I, I drive my teachers nuts because I have 100 teachers and I'm always looking for new ones. I want to learn something new and bolt that on and bolt that on. And so I feel like this sense of balance, one, I don't, I don't believe that things are in balance. I think they're always tilting one direction or another. That's what creates motion. And I feel like we, use, we weaponize the word balance. And it's really a way of someone telling you, hey, Jess, what you're doing is not good enough. On top of building your company, what you need to do is spend an equal amount of time on this and this and this and this. And we add up all the things we're supposed to be balanced at. It comes out to like, you know, 900%. And it's why we feel so shitty about ourselves all the time. And so the, the principle that I really subscribe to is flow. And what I believe, the reason why we end up in trouble, why the thing that we're talking about when we say work-life balance is actually that we take work and it kind of suffocates everything else in our life. And so pretty soon there's no more friendship that's not work-related. There's no family that's not work-related. There's no health for our own body because we make up a reason why we can't have a healthy meal because i got to do this and this. There's no health for our spirit because, God, if I sit down for five minutes and meditate, the whole world will collapse because I'm carrying it all on my shoulders. And so, like, the thing that I try to look for in my daily life is, is is everything flowing? And not at an equal rate. You know, if you kind of think about it, like, you've got some garden hoses that represent whatever's important to you. You know, in mine, it's family and spirit and business and, you know, social, social good. And I want to make sure that they're flowing, but they're not always flowing at the same at the same speed. And so we just ended a presidential election and I got really involved in, in voter turnout for that election. And so there were, you know, a few weeks last month that business wasn't flowing at the same speed as get out the Vote was. And my meditation was filled with thoughts of like ideas on, well, if I got this artist to do this and record this, then I could, you know, and that's okay. And then, come December at some point, I'm going to take a couple weeks and I'm going to go on retreat. And the, and then the spirit hose is going to be flowing really, really quickly. And the other ones are going to be trickling. But my thought or my feeling is that as long as all of them have something flowing through them, that stagnation doesn't get created. and And that's important because stagnation creates infection, which creates disease, which creates death. And that's really what we're, looking at and so these sensations that we have when our career has taken over everything is actually a sense of lack of flow of stagnation in other areas of our life and then we end up with little cesspools at home cesspools in friendships cesspools in our own body and if we just keep everything flowing again not always at the same degree there there are weeks and months where we have an important project or we're starting a new fund And it's impossible to be the world's greatest friend during that time. But it doesn't mean I tell all my friends to go to hell either. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't sit down and talk to my wife and children and explain to them, Hey, I'm in the midst of this. And so I'm going to carve out Sunday nights to sit down and have family time, you know, and we look at our diet and say, wow, I know that I tend to binge eat when I'm building a new project. And so I'm going to really focus on having a, fresh green juice every day to to make sure that that keeps going. And I'm going to take my meditation. It won't be 30 minutes during that time, but it's going to be seven really focused minutes that I'm going to pay attention to, to my inner life. And then that's okay. But if you go back to balance, what I just said is a failure because somehow you're supposed to be doing everything at an even pace. And I don't believe that that's actually the entrepreneurial life. And it just constantly means that we're judging ourselves and we're failing over and over again because you, you can't balance 10 things, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, as you're talking, one of the questions that comes to mind for me is I'm thinking about how tough it is to be accepting of others if we're not accepting of ourselves. Right. And I would be interested in your advice. I was thinking about, you know, places that I, I still struggle with this. So, you know, today I was sending a bunch of text messages and emails out to, you know, high net worth folks that I know that I'm hoping are potentially interested in, in giving us a startup money for the management company of this fund we're going to start right. And, and I got multiple yeses and I got one no. and I've spent more time on that no today than on the yeses. And it was an extremely polite no, including a follow- up like and, and all he was saying was, hey, I don't actually have other investments. I'm putting 100%, I put hundred percent of our cash back into the business kind of like there's no need to have a phone call right and and so I said hey thanks for the quick reply I totally understand and then he wrote back again just saying good luck with everything it was like having been a I got my first sales job when I was 15 25 years ago in the world of sales like this is not a brutal no <laughs> you know and it is from kind of a mentor a guy I look up to and and so I'm, I'm interested in a thought you have of sorting like I'm not interested versus that's personal rejection, and having my personal like self image wrapped up in everyone liking everything I ever do, or just like just any thoughts you have about how to how to how to wade through things like that and and just thoughts you have yeah
0: i I think one thing to start with is that we don't celebrate the guesses to the same intensity that we get upset about the no's. And so that's, that's one thing that I really try to watch in my own life is that you, okay, you had that reaction to the no. So one thing is we could talk about that. But the other thing is, had you spent the same amount of time on the yes that you spent on the no, it wouldn't be so all consuming. Right. And so what actually happens is that we get the yes and, and then the no comes and it's like, wow. So I think we can really deliberately say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna really focus on giving the same attention to the yes that I gave to the no," and so you got five yeses that probably would have taken all day to celebrate those, and then there would have been a tiny bit. Seemed, we can crowd out some of this negativity by just watching our own, our own pattern to it. That that's one. The other part is that I think life's always talking to us, and and we're talking to ourselves. Our hearts are trying to to speak maybe on a even more tender level, like our brokenheartedness is trying to speak to us. And so we can learn a lot from that reaction to the no, because I think most of us are telling a story about how it's all business, but that your reaction to the no showed you, Oh, actually I have a lot of emotion tied up in this too. That a lot of my self worth is tied up in here. A lot of my, my, my own thoughts about my inner worthiness and lovability and goodness are tied up in here. And so I try to use those things as a bit of a spotlight on, okay, then that's what I'm taking into my meditation to sit with, you know? And, and like a a good question is who was upset by the no, you know? And so we can, you can play through like the different roles that you play in your life and like actually who was upset. And then, and then what was upsetting about it? What was, I, what was I actually worried was the product of that no? You know, and usually what I find is that as you work your way back, who's upset is a very kind of young version of yourself. And what that upsetness is reflecting is that I'm not lovable. And if I'm not lovable, then I'm all alone. And, and, and the brain goes from there and, you know, I'm going to die. And I'm, this is going to be this way forever despite the fact that you had really like adult data that said, no, like I batted, I batted four for five today. Like I was going to amazing. No one does this. And my no was like the sweetest, all that was left is for him to send me a bottle of wine with the no. Like, I mean, it was like really sweet, but you can see how there's something very illogical, something very adolescent in the reaction. And so then that's for me is always a signal of, I got to go inside and find the little kid in me who's worried about that? No, we got to sort that out together in kind of a very, really tender, the way you would with a little child of just sitting together and listening and some internal messaging around my own self-worth, you know?
1: Yeah, it's great. Kind of leads to my next question. I think about, what about the times when the no isn't gentle? What about when it's like, when it was actually mean-spirited and like, you know, there's, there's you know likely some really tough stuff going on inside them and there's there's this you know reaction that they probably wouldn't be proud of if they could see from an outside observer and and what about the times when it really is rough any thoughts about sorting through those times yeah i mean sometimes sometimes people are mean sometimes
0: many times life is cruel you know and so i think we've got to allow ourselves to have human reactions too like again if we weaponize these things that we're talking about against ourselves, and and in other words, if we say, I'm going to learn all this stuff. So I don't ever have a human reaction again. Well, that's violent. That's violence in itself against ourselves. Right. And so one thing is when we hear, no, it's always hard, you know, like we're not sociopaths, like, you know, like we have feelings and we're not robots. And, and so it hurts. And when someone's mean, it really hurts. So, you know, like I don't think compassion means I'm never hurt by people, or spiritual understanding never means I'm hurt, not hurt by people. I think what I try to do is I want to avoid the demon the demonization or the dehumanization of that person. And so that person was dehumanizing to me in their answer. So I can be hurt, I can even be angry. I can decide I don't like that person in the way that they behave. I don't have to go to that level though of like that person's a monster. I think more like what you said is to keep in mind that person's going through the same that I'm going through. And that means that some days he's a jerk just like I'm a jerk some days. And the days that I'm a jerk, I rarely am doing it intentionally. I definitely am not trying to like ruin someone's life. More like, I just had a bad day. I took it out on on someone. So I think there's this like level of discernment that says I'm a human. I can have a human response. And that gives other people permission to have human responses too. And I might not like you and I might choose to not do business with you anymore, but I can let that story of that you're somehow inherently bad because you didn't do what I said. That's the level that I think we try not to get to that's that's pretty toxic and again if we look at life speaking to us it's usually for me when i'm going to that place a sign that i'm doing some dehumanization of myself inside and then i need to go go inward like my expectations of what i have to achieve are so high that i actually have given everybody this ability to like totally throw me off kilter and to throw my compassion like i'll be compassionate as long as you're not a jerk that's not really compassion right (laughs) So I think that I think, you know, like yeah, and I and again I think I can't say it enough. That doesn't mean we have to like hang out with everybody. It doesn't mean when someone's hanging in a or behaving in a way that's like contrary to our moral code or that's dangerous or hurtful to our heart. You don't have to fix them. But I just think we don't have to get to this level of dehumanizing them either as like inherently bad because that's that's another thing that we're seeing playing out in our world and it's a very dangerous slippery slope of the moment one person's not human that means a whole bunch of us aren't and eventually that means you're not either and that's that's a dangerous place to hang out
1: you know yeah no kidding well i know i know we're about out of time for part one of the interview here what's a principle you want to leave on or what's something you want to leave this episode with
0: I think the most important thing is just to remember that you're okay and that you're enough you know and you matter and these are like really tough times and there's lots of things going on like our our typical typical kind of validation system right now is out of whack a lot of people don't have jobs by no fault of their own a lot of people who do have jobs can't earn what they've typically earned or and the feedback loop might be might be broken and so I think it's just like a really good time to remember that not tied to any of that stuff, you're worthy and, and good and, and you matter. Yeah, I love
1: it. Everybody, uh, please tune into part two. I highly recommend going to Jason's website, go to Amazon, get his book. And uh, thanks for doing this, Jason. Thank you.